Past Ball Show. Brought to you by JohnPLE.com. What the f*** you think is my opinion of it? I think it was f***ing Put that in. I don't... So the Tribe drops its third straight on this trip. Six to one to the Rangers. For the Indians, one run on, let's say, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. Talk about the past, talk about the history, I'm talking about what's great about this game of baseball. There's so much stuff that we talk about. I would say I would know, but I would say the reason why they want to pass is they a three-run homer. The winners and still world champions, the Toronto Blue Jays. And this team sucks. Well, hey, Randy is winning. He's out. Yes, Randy is out. Look, look at this. Randy is out. And uh, David Mack. Sell the team. Oh, yeah. Welcome aboard. John Pielli, of course, here on the Past Ball Show. Another Saturday morning. ton of stuff to get into this week and next week. And as we get closer to the season, I'm going to do my, my MLB previews that I do every year. We started with team number 30, which is going to be the Houston Astros in regards to the rank, the worst team to the best team as, as we work our way up. And, of course, this is where the debate, the controversy, the whole you could agree with me, disagree with me, tell me why. And that's all available, johnpiele.com. Tweet at me at John underscore Pielli. I really enjoy the interaction. I do like to ruffle a little feathers because I throw my own opinion in there, which doesn't necessarily agree with what Baseball Prospectus says. I got my own feelings of the way that, that things are going to go out with these teams. And some of it's obvious. You look at some teams that are bad and some teams that are good. But listen, last year, who would have thought the Washington Nationals wouldn't have made the playoffs? Who would have thought that the Toronto Blue Jays, and maybe a lot of people did th- didn't believe in the Toronto Blue Jays. This was a team that really had a good offseason plan. It looked like they got themselves better to where they were going to be very competitive for the 2013 season, and it didn't work out. But, you know, this is what makes this time of the year fun because I look, you can look at the end of the season and say, wow, did I really believe in that? Did I really think two years ago that the Oakland Athletics were going to be the worst team in Major League Baseball? And listen, that, hey, that's where the majority could have been right and I could have been wrong. But, you know, that's why I enjoy what I do. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to play an interview I recorded this past week, one that I was pretty proud of. I got a chance to speak with Ed Charles, former third baseman for the New York Mets. And, of course, those of you who know, he was actually featured in the movie 42 with Jackie Robinson, about Jackie Robinson. He was uh, younger, obviously, than Jackie, but was that 12-, 13-year-old kid that was going out to the games. And you know, he explains exactly what was true about his portrayal in the movie and what wasn't, but also gets into some, some deeper stuff, some, some issues that still existed in regards to the treatment of African-American players and their acceptance or non-acceptance in Major League Baseball. And he went through a tough stretch where he played about four years in AAA, where he was definitely good enough to be a major league player while he's in the Milwaukee Braves organization. And I'm going to let him touch on that and kind of tell you uh, you know, what was going through his mind and the unfortunate things that were happening and still existing in a game of baseball and really in a world at the time. Obviously, the South uh, was, was still in a situation where it wasn't really ready to embrace uh, the changes that were going on in the society. And, of course, the last game that Ed Charles played was Game 5 of the 1969 World Series. He ends up 
uh, being released by the Mets and subsequently retiring. But, you know, great career, great man, and hopefully you guys enjoy this spot. The Glider, Ed Charles, former Mets third baseman, played several years with the Kansas City Athletics before that after he was traded from the Milwaukee Braves organization. So here he is. Ed Charles. This is John Pielli, and I'm joined by former Mets third baseman and Kansas City Athletics third baseman Ed Charles. Ed, thank you for having a couple minutes today. Ed, Ed as, as far back as you can remember, what was your first memory in regards to playing baseball or following baseball? Uh, John, baseball was the game back in my days time. Everybody played baseball. Growing up in Daytona Beach, Florida, we kids used to make up little games and play sandlot, stick ball, stuff like that. And I remember that my little team, we used to relate to this Brooklyn Dodgers. For some reason, we just took a liking to them because we used to get their games on the radio on the weekends. So we knew we just, I could talk to the Dodgers as I was a major league team, but we, we were in love with baseball. Everybody was in love with baseball. And it just came natural. We just played. Yeah, now, now how was it like playing on the streets? I mean, you hear all the stories about, you know, the, the streets being open, you, know, you grab a stick and, you know, some sort of ball, and you're able to, to just play, like, off of, you know, with sometimes cars around. You know, what was what was the biggest description of a regular Sandlot game? Well, what we would do, we would take a, we didn't have a ball game ball and stuff like that. We used to get a boom hound stick to use at a bat and you used to see these tennis balls and uh, we just map out our way earlier in the street so whatever space we could find in the neighborhood to play out our games. And we played and we played and played and played and uh, now this was this was be, was this before uh, Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier, or was this around the time that he did? Yeah, this was before. Uh, we all, I know I did. Uh, I said, listen to the radio, listen to the music, guys, and I said myself, I said, gee, I wish things were different where. People of color could play basically baseball, and I had that desire for a hunting jacket coming down. And the jacket came down at Daytona Beach, my hometown. I was like pushing my big birthday. And uh, there was a big happening that was historic. Jim uh, Crow South, where we weren't allowed to. Oh, my God. But Jackie instantly became my role model and hero, and I, 
Once again, John Pielli here with Ed Charles. Now, let's take us back a little bit before that. Of course, uh, your, part of your childhood a little bit uh, was portrayed in the Jackie Robinson movie, 42, that was obviously just released within the last year or two. Um, from your perspective, how much of that was accurate? Was that obviously that was you? You you, know, you just said that you you were, you know, he was a role model to you. You saw what he was doing as certainly you know innovative and as big as it was. Um, was that was that a full portrayal of you in that movie? Was that you know describe you when you were a kid? Let me let me describe describe it to you. Um, when Jackie came down to Daytona Beach with the Montreal Royals, the Dodgers AAA team, was spring training. And they held their spring training sessions in the black community at Terry Field where the blacks and the proteins played their games. And that was across the street from where I lived. So what we would do, we had to rush home from school to test Jack out on the field before his practice session end for the day. And I remember the first time that I saw him in the neighborhood guy. Um, they all rushed up to get his autograph. I was too shy. I just stood back and watched him as if he was some god or something. So, so that was my engagement in terms of seeing him and Daytona Beach and naturally seeing him play in the game, uh, first full game at City Island Park and Daytona Beach. But then my family moved to St. Pittsburgh, and this was another year or two. And the Dodgers was coming in, play, I think they played the Cardinals, because the Cardinals and the Yankees were spring training in St. Pittsburgh. That was their base during, during those years. And sure enough, I was in high school at the time, and uh, <laughs> me and my friends, we were cut out by afternoon classes on the, on the exhibition season with stocks. And especially when Jacob was coming to town to dive, and we would go down to Allen Field there in St. Newsburg and hang out on the fence or whatever and try to take up a peek at Jacob. So he came down with pitching that. After that game that particular day, the Dodgers would be leaving town about train. And 
the train station, just a couple of blocks from the Iron Field, up there in the middle of Second Avenue. And there my buddies rushed over to the train station. And started looking in the apartment on the train to see if we see where Jackie was seated. He was walking all down the platform there, looking then we finally got to where he was seated, playing cards with some of his friends, teammates. And we just standing out there on the platform just waving to him, you know, and just laughing, carrying on like little kids. And he waved back to us and we just got a big charge out of that. And we'll keep waving, he waved. The trees started moving out slowly. So we started moving out with the train, it's still waving. Train picked up speed and we picked up speed and we're chasing it and just waving and stuff like that. So that part was true. But the only, only part that uh, was a little hype was when they put in the, the uh, baseball bit now, when they tossed the baseball, that part didn't happen. But uh, we did chase the train and just wave it out and stuff like that. But I never did meet him until I was out of baseball, he was out of baseball. And I believe we met up small business administration office in Little Manhattan here in New York. I was selling some keto home for a novelty business project. And he was selling some keto capital for. But it's uh, a structure business that he was trying to get started over there at Inglewood, Pittsburgh, New Jersey. So, my, my appointment was before Jackie. And when the director got through with me, he said, guess what? I said, what? He said, no, Jackie coming in next. I said, you're not even kidding. <laughs> and he said, I said, I got to hang in here. I got to be the person. Now, now, did did you get a chance to uh, actually like share with him your story about well, you know what you remember from the train down in? I'll come to that, John. Okay. John, I was like that was the key old kid as I approached him. Now, bear in mind, I'm already about thirty-one. See, I must have been about thirty-eight or something like that. And I was like a little, little, little 13-year-old kid, I'm approaching him and I said, I wonder, wonder if he's going to be receptive to me. So I needed it and I had it in my head. I said, Mr. Robinson, I, I'd like to thank you for what you had to do to make things possible for guys like me and stuff like that to follow you. And he looked at me and he said, uh, I appreciate what you just said. You say you first tried to carry on that person came to me face to face thank me and I was kind of shocked over that. But I remember reading a lot of the flight trails spoke highly of it in articles. But just face to face he said I was the first one. And then uh, I told him what I was doing, and he told me what he was doing. So I told him I was going to make him up some money items and bring him over to his office 
special and kind of bittersweet at the same time because, you know, right after you get a chance to meet him, he passes away, and I'm sure you were probably, part of you was happy to finally got a chance to meet him and thank him because uh, because obviously he meant a lot to you, and, you know, for, for him, him to do what he did gave you the chance to be able to live, live your dream and play play baseball. Yes, yeah, but, uh, but we all, not only, not only people of color, but question, but obviously Major League Baseball, you know, did a lot within the last, you know, 15, 20 years as far as honoring Jackie Robinson every year on a, the, the day that marks the anniversary of him playing his first Major League game, and, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure you're happy to see that, you know, all across Major League Baseball, they have his number retired, and every year they kind of do a, a tribute remembering what Jackie did for the game. Jackie, in terms of uh, 
Absolutely. Once again, John Pielli here with Ed Charles. Now, you know, as, as a young ball player, you mentioned you were you were signed by the the Boston Braves, and you end up going up through their system. And you know, you you spend a lot of time in the minor leagues, and part of it had to do with, of course, you know, the third baseman that they had down there, and you played the same position. But yeah, yeah, must... yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Third baseman. And that is, and I think it was, was the reason why I spent so much time in the, in the college. Okay, that's, that's good, that's free. Uh, when I just got one shot, first shot at the major league level, I was a second baseman. And he kept all looking at me because he didn't have no best in him. No money invested in me, like a big bonus, stuff like that. But this is okay, I got my record. You see, my record said, you know, I stayed in so long and all, oh, he was unwarranted. But let me give you an example. Harry Carey, in the house of game back in, uh, I think that was 56 or 58, 1956, 58. I was at Wichita, Kansas, American Association. I was hitting at about 320, very second base. And Mel uh, Royce, who was a big bonus ball player, they had pushed me back and brought Mel Royce up. Mel Royce got injured. And I don't play uh thank you to the second base guy that he got back uh knee hurry or something like that. And I was on the game of the day, like they would come on Saturdays. And we would watch the game of the day before we would go to the ballpark and play our game at night. Yeah. I'm, I'm sitting there watching this game. No rush got hurt. But then Erica said, oh, well, they definitely got to get a second base. Who they got? And all the things. I said, well, they got their kid down there at Wichita at Charles. See, he is about 320. See, they probably bring him up. Oh, man, I, oh, I got so excited. I just knew five of get my shot. I go to the ballpark, I'm waiting on the manager to say, pack your bags, so anyway, he's in Milwaukee, but lost somebody's head, moved to Milwaukee, uh, in 53. Yes. So now, uh, I go to the ballpark, and all my team, and he said, well, kids, it's easy, you're on your way to the big tent. Manager called me in the office. And these were his words to me. He said, I know you should be going on. He said, but I told him I wanted to keep you here. And, uh, and Walker, he took Joe Clark, a shortstop, who was hitting about 120. Wow. I was devastated, okay? So, originally, I signed my first full contract as a shortstop. 
Now, when it's obvious that Peter's is going to have problems in several days, Steve and Sidney down to play one of baseball. And Bo Ricker but I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what they started to groom me for second base, but they had at that point told me to work out at second base. So while I was down in Puerto Rico that morning, I just I just so exhausted because I just got out of the army. I went out there and played a played a whole summer in Texas where it's so hot and um, I was totally exhausted by the time I got down to Puerto Rico that morning, so I told him I wanted to come home because I didn't feel alive. But had I known that they were trying to ruin me for second weeks at that point, I was I hung in there. But then back to what, what I was saying, I wasn't a third baseman at the time, but after the sensor happened, in Wichita, following the year, they moved me over to third base. Mm-hmm. Wanted me to play third base. So that's how it went down. Eddie Mattis and myself were great friends. Eddie Mattis had been to do with reason why I spent all those years to my week. So, most of the janitors spoke by us, that's what they claimed, but I just had to stop them sometimes and set the record straight, okay? Yeah, no question. The fact is, they killed me. They wouldn't trade me. Teams wanted me, but they wouldn't, wouldn't let me go. But you're talking about a, a time when they spoke close from monopolized on top. They hold on to their best talent as long as they can until they can use them up in the maze. They use somebody in Brooklyn or let go, whatever. Not taking any care They can't give up when they did because of uh, who that was. I broke their leg in the field, and they brought a hank up to the place. I don't know what the Bobby Thompson or one of those guys. Yeah, because he was, he was originally an infielder, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, but they had moved to the outfield. Not before, you know, they brought him up that year, but he had a lot of ball players. Back in those days, oh, good another thing, take Mary Will for the Dodgers. Murray had to wait for them before he could put, come up and replace a TV lease. But he was well, he was well ready for the major leagues before they brought him up. He was down there with me. Well, no, he was going to the south. So we had a lot of guys back in those days, you know, kind of that situation. And there's that old ugly thing that people don't want to talk about, the closest system. How many black players they're going to have on a team and blah, 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 and all that stuff. So all that stuff was in play, whether people want to admit it and just call it for what it is, okay? And we were all in the same, uh, same, uh, whatever. And nothing we could do about it because there were no such thing as free agency back in those days. You couldn't play out and move to another team. They had you, you know, to play for them, but you didn't play. And so they had to trade you or something like that, and you couldn't go nowhere. So the guy from Iowa is the one who fought baseball that they, they, they some leverage for these players so they can be able to move. 
think about free agency. So it was a different climate back in those days. And I just hate the fact that the writers and stuff like that are trying to cover things up. And they shouldn't do that. They should just go to the person involved and get the truth out. No, I, I appreciate it a lot, Ed, and I do want to apologize if I, you know, if I got some some information yeah. wrong. I appreciate you clearing it up, though. Yeah, you don't need to apologize. So that's what uh, a lot of the the uh, writers and John Pielli here with Ed Charles. This is obviously a shame that you, you had to stay down in the minor leagues when obviously the numbers prove that you were ready. And of course, after the 1961 season, you, you get traded over to the Kansas City Athletics and then you finally get your first chance in the big leagues. Uh, how, how was that experience? And obviously based on what you did on the field, it, you know, it proved that you were long ready to be a major league ball player. Well, I was very happy when I, when I heard I was being traded out of the great system. Now, bear in mind, John, before the trade transferred, the Braves had me kicking to come to Milwaukee to be a utility player because they had used Felix Mantilla in that capacity for the over a year. Now they traded Mantilla. Boston, so he's going to blame me up. Feeling that he didn't get us again. But Kansas City, they wanted me in that trade. So I was fortunate enough to get away. I had the Kansas City where I could play every day. And the only thing that happened that really, I wish I was mature enough to, to uh, overcome this flight. I had so much good vibes with the owner of the academics at the time, Charlie Shanley. And uh, I thought he was the greatest owner I ever played for. I remember the first year I had mid-season. He called me from his office in Chicago. He told me, he said, yeah, you could go to the park tonight until that Friday, the business manager, he give you a $5,000 raise. Now, John, back in those days, that's big money. The minimum salary that I was making for a rookie was seven thousand. Oh. Now they come five thousand more. So I'd be in my first year. I got twelve thousand dollars. Not too many players can say that, okay? But I'm being a superstar. Can you say that? I could eat a four. And I want to. Sometimes the 
signed a contract for, for 
about it. Once again, John Piella here with Ed Charles. Now, you know, through, throughout your, your time in New York, you know, you mentioned how it was kind of like a, uh, you know, special moment when you realized maybe maybe back to what you, what you, were, what you thought New York was as a child and stuff like that. Um, what, what was your best recollection of playing for New York? You were talking about, you know, how uh, you, you, were, you embraced, obviously, the fans and, you know, what was it, you know, it was obviously everything that you thought it would be, right? Yeah, I had no idea what it would be like playing in New York every day. You know, we come in for three games serious, stuff like that. You don't get a great feel for what it would be playing, you know, most of the games here in New York. And uh, all I knew was that back in those days, most of the players, they wanted to play in New York for their for for their careers and and I was hoping that I'd get a chance because I was fascinated with New York the first time that I visited uh, the city and that was I was back in fifty three. Uh, and I was on my way to Germany, I was in the army. I swear I had a I was facing down in uh, that New Brunswick that base down there, and I uh, had to take a soup ship to Germany, but I had an aunt living in Holland, I said, come in, his interview full, we took sail for Germany, and I was just astounded by the hues of the city and the people who like the good to and fro. And I said to myself, where the heck are all these people going? <laughs> it was funny, Jack. I was standing to the side and I wanted to look up at the guy straight and I said, no, I can't tell that. People know he's just a whole country pocket or something like that. But um, I was always fascinated with the city. And then when I got a chance to play here with the men, and the energy from the fans. I think it's uh, invigorated me because I had to have an invigorated to the game. And the message to have a little brass band, and he said, go to the stand, they'd be playing and whooping it up and all carrying on like some festival or something was taking place. And uh, it was great. And uh, I just got caught up in the atmosphere. So. My big thing was that the fans really energized his soul basically. And I just got caught up in the spirit, so I responded. Now, do you think that similar to the way that you felt or, or maybe lost some of, some of your energy when you, when you had that situation where you, where you, didn't, you, you, didn't, you ended up taking a pay cut, uh, was, that, was that similar type of energy that you were able to put in a positive way once you feel, felt the embracement and the experience of playing in New York? Well, uh, I had gotten over it, you know, by being traded. New York, 
I do follow kind of the prayer and feel like there are words that be in this God and be it the life that is in today, the feelings that do whatever. But anyway, that's always um, take care of you the best. Hopefully you guys enjoy that spot with Ed Charles, great man, and really, really nice to sit back and just listen to some of his stories and some of the experiences he went through because it obviously wasn't easy for him. But once again, John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. We're going to take a little bit of a break. We're going to get back. We're going to start doing our previews. 30 to 1 MLB Countdown, JohnPielli.com. Right back after this. I always wanted to work in sports, kind of got sidetracked in college, then ended up in a job and, and realized I wasn't happy doing what I was doing. Researched CSB and ended up making you know one of the better decisions in my life. Want to be part of the exciting world of sports broadcasting? You've got to check out Connecticut School of Broadcasting. We have nearby campuses in Stratford, Connecticut, Westbury, Long Island, and Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey. There's no stalling here. You start learning from day one. How to use the camera, learning what you're supposed to be doing on camera, getting into the radio booth, DJing. But the biggest thing for me from CSB, they helped me get my foot in the door in two of the best internships in the city. Nothing about the job gets old. It's, it's The good thing about sports is every night's a little bit different. We place thousands of grads for nearly 50 years. Contact us today. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or visit GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has nearby campuses in Stratford, Connecticut, Westbury, Long Island, and Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or visit GoCSB.com. Hey guys and gals, want to have a great time dining out while watching your favorite sport on HGTV? Then come on down to Hooters of Princeton, New Jersey, located on Route 1 South in Trenton in the Mercer Mall. Hi, I'm Deja. And I'm Corey. These are great deals all week, bound to whet your appetite and satisfy your hunger. Check out our Bunday Mondays, where you can have a delicious cheeseburger and fries for only $6.99. On Tuesdays, we have all-you-can-eat wings all day, just $12.99 per person or $10.99 for boneless. On Wednesdays, you can get 10 boneless wings and an order of fries for just $6.99. On Saturday, kids eat free for every meal ordered by an accompanying adult, and the meals are served on Frisbee. We have half-price appetizers from 10 p.m. until close every day. You can then enjoy your cold draft beer with our mouth-watering crab clusters for only $5. Remember, we are located in Trenton on Route 1 South in the Mercer Mall, just south of Quaker Bridge Road. For any information, call us at 609-520-WING. That's 609-520-9464. So come on in and watch your favorite football team while having a great meal, served up by the nicest and the hottest girls anywhere. Hope to see you there! Is empty blood. Go ahead, laugh. Laugh all you want. But the fact of the matter is, this is this is the setting for the greatest story ever told. Okay? Faces empty blood. 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 Welcome back. John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. A whole lot of stuff to get into. We're going to, this is the time of year, spring training. We're getting ready for the start of the season. And obviously, listen, I think social media and the way media is set up, MLB Network, ESPN, the internet, everything in the way it's out there, all the information is right in front of you. So if you're a baseball fan, if you're a fan of any other sport, you want to know what's going on. You want to rank within yourself what you think the best teams are, what teams had the best offseason, 
all you got to do is just turn on the tube or turn on the internet and you can find it kind of like have an idea of what the heck is going on. So let the debate begin. And obviously the way I set this up is I use the Las Vegas over-unders to get my judgment of what I feel the team is going to be, whether I think they're going to win more games than was projected or less games. And I think it's easy to look at. You say, hey, 82.5 over-under, gut feeling. It's either going to be over or under. And that's really what I go with. And I ended up coming up my list 30 to 1. The worst teams up to the best, and obviously the worst team, in my opinion, for the second season in a row, but in reality, for the third season in a row, is the Houston Astros. And the Houston Astros, they made their debut, of course, in the EAL last season, and probably couldn't have uh, picked the worst year to be in that division with all the talent set up there with Oakland and with the Angels and with the Texas Rangers. Uh, it was probably something that was not expected to work out for them the best. And they did the best they could, let's be honest. I mean, the, the Astros are a rebuilding team, a bunch of young players, not really too much veteran presence. They had a rookie manager in Bo Porter. They were expected to lose a lot of games, and they did. Coming into this season, I think there are a couple things positive. Some moves started to be made in the right direction. They brought in Dexter Fowler, the guy who plays center field, a legitimate leadoff hitter. He could probably bat him a little further down in the lineup if you need to three or five or something like that if you have some other uh, pieces built around him. They went out there and they acquired Jesus Guzman, a guy who could play first base. He could be a utility type of player, uh, a veteran player that can kind of work in with some of the younger guys, let's say Jonathan Singleton when he's ready. They also added some veterans to their bullpen, and let's be honest, their bullpen still does not look very good, but they did sign Jesse Crane, and if Jesse Crane is healthy, he's going to certainly help them out a little bit. I think he's going to be able to get some guys out. He may be the closer. Chad Qualls may be the closer. But the problem is, is this is a team that's not looking to have a bunch of games to be saved. Ideally, they would like to. Ideally, they would like to have uh, 50, 60 games with leads going into the ninth inning. It's probably not going to happen. And I'm glad the Astros didn't really go out there and spend a ton of money on a closer because you could get guys like they did last year with Jose Varis. He got himself, what, 21 saves for them. Probably isn't a major league closer, but it was a guy that can get some outs, and the Astros used him in that role. A couple big signings that I thought the Astros made that are very interesting are Scott Feldman and Jerome Williams. You know they have some young pitching. They obviously have some younger arms that are going to eventually work in, but they gave themselves two guys that could clearly go out there and pitch 180 to 200 innings. And Feldman and Williams have had track records, and Feldman had a very good season last year for the Cubs and Orioles. And Jerome Williams is a guy who uh, came up with the San Francisco Giants system, struggled, had some injuries, but has come back over the last couple of years and has helped the Angels out. He was 9 and 10, 457 ERA in 37 games, 25 stars for the Angels. Now, Jared Cozart, the guy they got over from the Phillies in one of the trades that they made when Ed Wade was, of course, uh, in. Houston after he left Philadelphia is probably the guy that has the biggest upside in regards to their pitching prospects that are ready now. Brad Peacock is a guy who's become kind of a journeyman type of guy, but could go out there and make maybe uh, 20, 25 starts. They also have a series of younger pitchers that we saw last year. Lucas Harrell was 6-17 and 17 with a 586 ERA in 36 games, 22 starts for the Astros. Dallas Kuchel, who was 6-10 with a 5.15 ERA. But these are two guys that have some talent, have some ability, and I think can go out there and get better. And I think that's what you're asking for if you're the Houston Astros, the way you're set up in your rotation. Colin McHugh, a former Met, 
played pitched a little bit with the Colorado Rockies last year. Is a guy who will get a shot. Paul Clemens, no relation to Roger, was four and seven with a five forty ERA. Will probably get a chance to battle for that fifth spot in the rotation. Ultimately, they have a couple of obviously higher-end pitching prospects. Mark Appel, the number one overall selection in a draft last year, could be up at the major leagues this year, but if not, he'll probably be up there next year. A pitcher by the name of Mike Faltinowitz is a guy that could be up maybe a little sooner than Appel. And obviously with Kozar, with Appel, with Faltinowitz, there are three very good young pitching prospects that could come up there and be maybe three to ones up in a rotation and kind of allow his team to establish himself a little bit going forward. But starting pitching, I think there's some positives. Feldman is a guy that could go out there and give you 200 innings. Jared Cozart is going to be able to emerge on the scene. I really do think you're going to see some good things out of him. But the problem with the Astros is going to be their bullpen. They're going to have a hard time, uh, you know, first of all, they're going to have a hard time getting a lot of leads. But when they do, you know, the bullpen's going to blow it for them. I mean, they, they, you know, Wesley Wright was a guy who was pretty good. He was traded to the Rockies last year for Alex White, and Alex White could be either a reliever or a starter. Josh Fields, Chin Jen Lowe are a couple guys that were probably going to compete for the closer's job along with Crane and along with Chad Qualls. But listen, you're going to get to a point where this is a bullpen you're going to be able to get to. Darren Downs, Raul Valdez, a couple guys that are pitching from the left-hand side are going to you know, pretty much be in positions where they could get beat up. And that's going to be the frustrating thing if you're a Houston Astros fan. Offensively, listen, Jason Castro, Jose Altuve are probably their best players. Matt Dominguez, a guy who established himself as their everyday third baseman, did a good job last year. Jonathan VR is going to be their starting shortstop. Eventually, Carlos Correa, the number one draft pick a couple of years ago, is going to be in there and playing every day at shortstop. Uh, guys like Robbie Grossman, LJ Hose, they're going to be outfielders kind of on the other two sides of Dexter Fowler. Um, I think eventually you're going to see a better lineup with guys like Jonathan Singleton, George Springer, a couple prospects that are going to be able to make their way to the major leagues this season. Their starting lineup, I'll probably go Altuve, Hose, Fowler, Castro, Chris Carter as the DH, Dominguez, Guzman as the first baseman, uh, Robbie Grossman, VR, and then a couple guys like Marvin Gonzalez and J.D. Martinez are going to be options off the bench. So that's what you're going to look at for the Houston Astros. Probably not such a good season as opposed to uh, the last. I don't think you're going to get much improvement. I got them a 58 at 104, last place in the AL West. We'll be right back. Another solid hour pass ball show, MTR Radio Network, back after this. Chicago, American Airlines, we mean business in Chicago. 